Welcome to Slow and Steady, the podcast where you can follow along as we build products in public. Each week we'll give an honest peek into our lives as we share our struggles, our wins and everything in between. I'm Benedict and I'm feeling excited. I'm Benedicta. Today is June 24, 21st. This is episode number 144. And I'm also feeling excited. And with us today is longtime listener Michael, the co founder of PG Mustard, and uh, such an awesome person that he got the customer success position at UserList. How are you feeling? Hello, hello. I am <laughs> feeling grateful. Ooh, good one. Anything in particular? Uh, probably everything. But no, nice to be on here, obviously. But um, also, it's been really, I think uh, our summer's lasted at least three or four days uh, this week. So been out in the garden working, which feels pretty, it feels like cheating, doesn't it, really? Um, it's nice and peaceful out there. Um, yeah, I had a good had a good start to the week. Didn't know you had a garden. That sounds like the perfect uh, place to be for you as you're a plant person, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, plenty of plants indoors, which sometimes makes people confused, but you also have an outdoor garden. But yeah, we're in an apartment, but we there's only four of us in the building. So um, the big garden was split in four. So we have a quarter of a normal size garden, which is perfect. It's a nice and manageable size. So do you just grow plants in there, like flowers and stuff, or also vegetables and, I don't know, potatoes? Herbs. Good question. Oh, herbs oh, we do have some. One. Yeah, we do have some. We say herbs, uh, being oh. British, but um, herbs, yeah, I like, I like the American uh, pronunciation. Um, so, yeah, we do. Uh, my partner's really into her flowers, so we've got a lot of those. It's mostly that, but we have tried vegetables in the past. Um, I recommend uh, courgettes if you uh, want uh, one that gives you a lot uh, and I recommend <laughs> against peas. Uh, they are far more work than they're worth, um, or at least for me they were. Uh, <laughs> but the main the main thing I do like about it is we've got like one of those hanging chairs. So kind of like buried the base of that uh, under a tree. So it's quite nice to be able to just sit in that and work uh, uh, with the bird song so I, I had to come in for this because otherwise all you would hear is birds uh, chirping away the whole time <laughs> oh that would be that would be relaxing that sounds lovely awesome i actually spent most of yesterday also outside working and then we have fall again today so yeah we only had a one day summer so i'm i'm jealous crossing my fingers for more though <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's only june right you've got a few more months left hopefully August. Sometimes August surprises you. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> but as a kind of an introduction, though, what problem does PG Mustard solve? Yes, good question. So it is mostly uh, just a very simple tool to help people speed up slow database queries, uh, specifically for Postgres. Um, so yeah, it does some visualization, shows you, it does kind of some of the calculations you'd have to do manually yourself. Um, but then the thing it does that's different to most other tools is then it gives some performance advice as well. And those are scored um, so that you hopefully get the best advice first. Uh, so yeah, the problem is mostly that Postgres performance is a little bit of a black box to some people. The The output's quite hard to read and we try and make that quicker and also a bit more educational for people that are newer to it. I think I remember from Benedict using it that it's like you sign up 
And then you, how do you integrate it? He said it was very easy, but I didn't catch how. <laughs> yeah, so when we were starting out, we thought people would not trust us with uh, database connection stuff. So it it really doesn't integrate much at all. You, you ask Postgres for the uh, explain query plan and you get text format, you get text back uh, or JSON in, in our case, and you copy that and you paste it into our tool and then it, it does the rest. So pretty much zero integration, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like if I remember correctly, it was super easy to get started. And like you mentioned it briefly, but the killer feature of PG Master is really those that, that actionable list of fix this first, then maybe look at this. And don't even bother with these two things. Um, that's like compared with everything else out there, at least the things I tried, it's it's amazing because the others just give you a nice visual, visualization and maybe point you to the the most problematic part, but that's about it. Then from there you have to figure out why that's the problematic part yourself and what to do about it. And uh, what's super great about PG Mustard is that it just gives you that that list and tells you, hey, this is the problem and here's things that you can do about it. And if you need more information, click here to get to the documentation or whatever. And that makes it, that speeds up the process by a lot because you're not fuzzing around so much and get to the solution super quickly. Yeah, well, thank you. That's really kind. And, and you've uh, probably been better at marketing it than me so far. Um, <laughs> but uh, the thing, yeah, so I thought of it originally as a productivity tool. And I think that's what you're describing a little bit, as in you could have done this before you were able to do it with um, with other tools, but it was slower. And the more I've learned over the past few well, years now, um, but only recently, probably the last year or so, I've really cracked that it's probably more of an educational tool or at least the people that love it it points out something they didn't spot themselves or um it it teaches them about a postgres performance feature they didn't know much about or a specific case where it's a problem so if anything it's kind of like a an educational tool kind of like uh, masquerading as a as a productivity tool and that, yeah that's uh, that surprised me as the person who kind of designed it. So that was <laughs> that was funny. How did you get the idea? Yeah, so um, kind of did it a bit backwards. It uh, wasn't. I don't think this is like a one hundred and one a good a good way of doing things. But um, I worked for a database tools company or a dev tools company that did a lot of database tools uh, at the beginning of my career. So I spent five years at a company called Redgate. Now they mostly did tools for SQL Server, but I got lucky enough to run a small team that that did kind of the same tools, but for Oracle uh, and for MySQL, but not Postgres. So we spoke to the customers that used multiple databases and a lot of them started asking. So this was uh, 10, 10, to, 10 years ago or so. Um, they started asking about Postgres, but it wasn't a big concern. They were just starting to do new projects on it. So I kind of saw this coming, I looked into it, thought it was cool, tried to get the company to build some tools for it, uh, failed. Um, and eventually when I left the company, I thought, you know, if I if I am able to start my own company one day, it'd be cool to do something for Postgres. Then the company I left and joined uh, was a payment startup in London. They ran on Postgres and the dev team there absolutely loved it. So. 
that kind of solidified, oh, yeah, I should definitely do something for Postgres. It's what the startup's using. It's got a big future, even though it's super old. Um, but then it was a case of, well, what? What should it? You can't just say, oh, I'm going to do something for Postgres. Um, so it's kind of did a little bit of, uh, you know, I'm a product manager by trade. Uh, so did try and do a little bit of product management, a little bit of research, talk to a lot of people about what they spent time doing, what tools they liked, what tools they didn't like, um, what they were using. And all of the Redgate tools that, uh, well, I didn't, I, I was hoping a Redgate tool would stand out and be like, oh, I should just do that, but for Postgres. Um, but no, sadly, I already had a friend doing the most obvious one of those. Um, shout out to Neil from Postgres Compare. Um, so he was also in, in my team at Redgate. Um, but people did mention a couple of explain visualization tools that they liked. It was never the main thing they did. Um, and they actually really liked the tools. But when I checked them out, they did only seem to solve half the problem. And a lot of the times on online forums, people were, uh, like a, a beginner would ask, how do I speed up this query? A more expert person would say, well, can you please paste it in one of the, like into this specific tool? Um, and share the query plan and then it would be a bit of back and forth a few more questions and eventually the expert would just tell them what to do if you add this index with you know this three column index your problem will go away they say oh brilliant that was amazing that's worked a treat but they haven't learned anything and also there was this whole back and forth and a lot of wasted time a lot of lag like a, that could take a day or so on a mailing list um and it also didn't feel like the best use of their time that that expert so turns out that was also happening with like privately within companies um, and quite a lot of the time I think people didn't solve problems. So I heard quite a few stories of people just increasing the size of their instance instead. <laughs> so yeah, but good one, I guess, right, throw money at the problem. But um, yeah, so it just felt like maybe what those experts were doing might be doable by a computer, you know they're running kind of like an algorithm in their head saying looking for this problem then ruling that one out then they're looking for this problem then they're looking for that problem so i think i heard somebody i don't actually i haven't actually looked up what this means but i've heard someone describe that as a bubble sort algorithm uh, so maybe maybe we could do that with a with software instead and take out maybe that's what computers are good at you know doing calculations quickly so that's what you're doing that's that that's that's what you're doing or... Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. So sorry, I missed out the important bit. Um, <laughs> so yeah, those tips that Benedict mentioned, what we're doing is we've got about some, somewhere between 15 and 20 different types of issue. And we look on each operation and, and each kind of, sometimes it's like a plan level issue or sub plan level issue, uh, looking for the issue, scoring it on a kind of scale as to how much time it could save. And then uh displaying those scores and highlighting the top three cool so, yeah like i keep telling you it's an amazing tool <laughs> i really do hope you have benedict's face on your website with the quote and a video quote if you haven't already you should get on that i, I think there's a testimonial there somewhere right if i remember correctly yeah, I'm using Dame, uh, is it Damon from Testimonial. I'm using his uh, plugin on our Testimonials page, and I've promoted Benedict's up the page. It's quite high. Um, so yeah, it's it's nice because it's a tweet tweet as well. So I, I really like that product in terms of. So I think people are calling it social proof. I think it's mm -hmm. quite easy to put uh, testimonials on your website, um, 
and people can always kind of question if they're real or not. But if you can link to real tweets, it's quite cool to sh to show. No, this it'd be quite a quite the con to be able to fake a lot of accounts with thousands of users <laughs> and lots of history. So it's quite nice to be able to say, no, real people actually like it. I promise. I think that's why you know video testimonials are also coming mm -hmm. in really big because it's also harder, especially if it is a person people know. Like, I mean, I guess there's deep fakes, but but, <laughs> but still, we do trust video where we can actually see the person, not just like a fake tweet or fake tes testimonial, like you said. Um, but somewhere in there, you said something about it be Postgres being an old technology, but all the startups are using it. Like, do you what has happened? Good question. I have some theories. I'd be interested in Benedict's view on this as well. Um, my theories are that it made some really good bets early on that are paying off or paying dividends now uh, based on a few few lucky breaks as well as some really solid decisions. So I think they, from the beginning, they focused on reliability. They put that uh, ahead of a lot of things. Um, and that I think is that, that it's Sorry, so it's got a reputation for being very, very reliable, and they've been increasing the performance f uh, features recently. So they've really caught up with the big databases in terms of parallelism, uh, partitioning, like a few other really important features. But, uh, sorry, one other really important thing that they did was they made it really extensible. So it has a really rich ecosystem of uh, extensions. So that was right at the beginning. And they added JSON support, uh, so pro like really good uh, indexable JSON support, so, which made it a really good alternative or definitely not a big hit versus taking on an extra database in Mongo, for example. So I think a lot of those decisions have really paid off, but the big breaks were probably Oracle acquiring the company that owned MySQL and slowly... Um, <laughs> messing that up or at least reducing people's trust in it there was a, a big fork in the mysql community or mysql i don't know what people say these days um maria db took a lot of the kind of uh momentum away from mysql so i think a few, few interesting things happened there some i've heard people recently talking a lot about heroku's part in it they they picked postgres as their default database i think that um might have had a big so a lot of things have happened and uh, some amount of luck, some amount of really good judgment, but I, I think it's been slow and steady, if you want, uh, for the last <laughs> yes. 40 years. Yeah, got it in. Um, yeah, so I think it has been growing that whole time, but it seems maybe even to be accelerating, which is cool. You said 40 years? Four zero? I think it might be. It depends what you count. It, there was okay. like a, it was called Postgres. Then it was, well, so it was Ingress. Then it's mm -hmm. Postgres kind of came after it, uh, unsurprisingly. Then it became, I think there was one version called Postgres 95. And then it became <laughs> PostgreSQL, which is probably what most people recognize now. And that's probably about 30 years old. But if you go back, those are all Postgres really. So yeah, I, I say 40 years, who knows? Cool. I've never, I just, see, I would be one of those who would choose it because it was the default on Heroku. Because mm -hmm. that's all, like, I don't think about databases that much more uh, than that. So I think definitely being a default somewhere like that would would help. Because then it's like, oh, which one? Do the default. Like, uh, this is not something I want to spend time on, right? Did you have and, any? And they're all good. MySQL is good. 
Um, Mongo's good. Like the, if depending on what you want to do, there might be a better one for you. But they're they're probably all capable of building whatever you want to build. Some of them will make that slightly easier. Some of them will make that slightly harder. Maybe some will be easy at the beginning and hard later on. Maybe some will be hard at the beginning and easier later on. But it, I mean, I. I'm in the world of performance, so I have to talk about trade-offs a lot. And it uh, feels like <laughs> of the course. defaults are good for other reasons as well, right? It's easier to find answers on on Stack Overflow. Oh, you know, the older something is, the easier it is as well in terms mm-hmm. of finding blog posts or finding good documentation, that kind of thing. So on that note, with this work with the new, what are they called? Superbase. I know that's Postgres under under there somewhere. Yeah, Superbase is a great example. In fact, that's one of the easier ones. So Superbase is pretty much vanilla Postgres. It's uh, beautifully done. They've extended it really well. They've made some things really uh, user-friendly, but all on top of vanilla Postgres, which is very, very cool. But yeah, some of the um, there are some coming out now that are a little bit harder to support. So once you're multi-node, um, so uh, for example, there's Citus, um, there's a there's one called Neon, there's Timescale. There's a few of these that are pushing Postgres to its limit, going to kind of a little, well, they're spinning up multi-node Postgres instances that are not uh, typical replication setups. Uh, some people call that sharding, or there's, there's different ways of describing it. Um, that's harder because the query plans just look different or they have to implement their own kind of language for it. Um, so, the, But the, the more similar it is to vanilla Postgres, the better our tool works for it. Um, so I was a bit surprised recently. We've got some customers using Aurora, which is a different storage engine, um, but Postgres uh, wire compatibility. And the, they love it. They love the product. I was ready to say, you know, there's a few things that might not make 100% sense. Um, but I think we get a little bit lucky that if, let's say it's a storage problem, they are not presenting the storage information. So they don't give us, for example, buffers information. Um, so we don't tell people about potential buffers problems. So we mostly get away with it because the the tip isn't there to give. Um, but yeah, so I, but I'm fully aware that this, you know, open source fragments over time. You know, sometimes it consolidates, sometimes it fragments. It might go wrong, but at the moment we've got away with supporting pretty much just vanilla Postgres, which is nice. And Superbase, which I cannot say without being like, boom, boom, boom. I don't know. Oh, that's, that's a different. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely, I had to re-record some videos for them because I kept saying Superbase. Uh, oh, and, Superbase. Yeah. Oh. In, um, in England, supper's like sometimes a meal. Like uh, after lunch, the next meal you have might, instead of being dinner, it could be supper. So uh, I've definitely had to, yeah, learn to say super bass. So I don't get the song stuck in my head quite as easy. <laughs> I get that song. It's like, it's right there. It just like keeps on playing and playing and playing. Once on our stream, I had to actually go and like listen to it afterwards to like get it out of my head. <laughs> Sometimes you just need to like actually listen to the song. But uh, back back to um, PG Mustard. Did you have any thoughts on um, Postgres, Benedict? Um, I don't know. Like I'm not as deep into Postgres history as uh, Michael is probably. Um, but it sounds about right. I mean, my first my first time using Postgres was 
at a company where we doing where we where we were doing a lot of like uh, geospatial calculations and uh, waypoints, routing, and all of that. And because Postgres was so easy to extend, there was like it feels like it's the go-to solution for anything in that uh, in that part. Like with Postgres, I think is the extension called. Um, yeah. Yeah, and that just made it super easy and super obvious to just like pick that and not even think about it because it came with everything you need to, I don't know, calculate distances on the globe and stuff like that. So, yeah, um, and then obviously Post uh, Postgres on Heroku is yeah, as Michael said, is probably one of the other reasons why I keep using it. <laughs> <laughs> and these days, I just love it. I mean. It, yeah, I, I at this point I I'm having a hard time imagining going to some something else in the near future, because luckily, um, and that's maybe also one thing why it's still popular is that I feel like at least for my needs, it usually by the time I actually need something to solve a problem, they have actually integrated that thing into it. Um, like for example, JSON support at some point was wasn't quite there now these days it is we're using it a lot for user list i've heard rumors that there will be like a new storage engine for like columnar storage and stuff like that which might be interesting for like time series data and like analytics and stuff like that we don't quite need it yet but like maybe i get lucky again and in a year or two it's actually supported natively and i don't have to look elsewhere for stuff so yeah this podcast is not sponsored by Postgres. <laughs> <laughs> or PJ Mustard. We into Or Stripe. <laughs> or Stripe. <laughs> not sponsored. <laughs> Speaking of which, though, the um, that is another reason why I loved Postgres. There isn't one company behind it. And it does feel like a genuine collaboration between, if not, you know, it's not many companies, but it's a few big companies and a few uh, influential contributors, a few influential consulting companies. So it does feel like a something that could survive for quite a while, even if one or two of those companies goes rogue or, um, you know, a few of the major contributors decide to stop contributing for a while. But yeah, uh, so I think even it might actually be difficult to get sponsorship from Postgres, maybe more so than Stripe. <laughs> I think it could be quite easy to get sponsorships from Stripe if we, <laughs> if we try. Well, not easy, but it, I think it could be possible. Um, anyway, uh, is, uh, is this your first product? Oh, yes. So it is the first product that I've come up with and built and run. But it's not like I was a product manager, so it doesn't feel like it feels like I feel like I should have better instincts than I do. Um, you know, I've managed a lot of products, but they tend to be they're almost exclusively somebody else's idea that you're you're brought in to take over to manage. Um, and you have a lot of autonomy, but you don't have full autonomy. And you you think you understand kind of where it came from, what the point is, but really you're you're intercepting it at a point in time and yeah so um it feels like it feels like my first product it feels like my baby sometimes but um yeah it's it kind of is and it kind of isn't what Wait, yeah what do you mean your, by no i mean first product as founder or co-founder 
Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. First product, first business even. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a one of those first-time founders that forgets to do marketing for a while. <laughs> I guess that's one of the things when you were saying you were a product manager, then that also isn't what you're going to be. That's not your responsibility. There is There are other people who are responsible for the marketing and the sales, and you're more responsible for, I guess, product development. Um, so it's not, as you said, it's not fully <laughs> the same as having your own product. So what, from those project manager jobs, what do you feel has helped you in the role as a first first time uh, founder? That is a and very what has good been de de detrimental? Is that a word? Yes. <laughs> yeah, detrimental. Positive I and negative. Think, I mean, yeah, right. I haven't thought tons about this, but. The nice thing about product management is you do get insights into different parts of the business. And I, I wasn't a stereotypical, I didn't uh, go into product management straight away. I had had a few months of sales roles and then I did some project management and then I did some analysis. Um, and then I've even done uh, kind of didn't expect to, but I ended up running a customer success team for a couple of years. So, and then I've gone back to product management for a few more years. So it's been a bit mixed, but product management did give me, you know, I did have to have meetings with the marketing team, meetings with the sales team, meeting with the support team, and kind of balancing each of their priorities. Um, I think I like, I think I learned a lot of how much you could get from listening to support, for example. I think that really, that helped me a lot. Um, I don't think all product managers listen to their support teams as much as they could or should, um, but I definitely see support as a positive whenever we get it and seek feedback wherever I can. It's not it's not easy in developer tools. Uh, I heard a good phrase. One of my friends texted me once and said, are your, are your customers aggressively self-service too? And I thought that was such a nice uh, <laughs> turn of phrase. What um, do you mean? Like Benedict, who doesn't even like take up, take up on your offer of, of like free help? Yeah, well, Benedict's a good example um, that I... I heard, I think it was, I, I was a bit behind on Slow and Steady. I heard an episode that was from a few weeks ago and thought, oh, these actually got Postgres performance issues. I should probably message, message to say, are you still having these problems? Uh, can I help? And uh, before he'd even replied, he'd, I saw a Stripe notification. <laughs> I was like, no, I didn't mean, I didn't mean buy the product. I mean, I would have happy to help you. And it's like, oh no, it already helped. It's great. But yeah, so good example. Um, but more to the point, like on negative, so that was a positive experience. Mm -hmm. But on the negative side, uh, we log, uh, we don't log query plans by default, but we log when there's an error. Um, and but because we haven't logged the query plan, it's sometimes difficult to reproduce. Um, so I'll, but I know they've hit the error. I know we've given them that error in the in the UI. We've said please, like please contact us with this, and ninety five percent of those never do. Um, so it's it's quite you know even for errors, uh, people aren't getting in touch. Even for customers that have been customers for a while and hit an error message, don't get in touch. So yeah, that's the kind of times where I would. I'm a bit confused by it. I'm thinking, really? But yeah, so there were, you know, there are so many positives to that, right? People are people will look on your docs, people will look for the information themselves. I get very little uh pointless support, you know, or or uh trivial support issues. 
And when I do, they tend to be complicated. <laughs> but it, it means it's hard to use it for product development or insights. It's, you have to kind of go out of your way to work out how to get that information or how to learn how to improve it, how to even know if you're on the right path or you know, that kind of thing. And, but yeah, that doesn't really answer your question. The product management probably did lead me a bit, probably gave me a bit too much confidence that I would know what to do. That I, you know, I'd, I'd taken a lot of products that were already good and made them better, took them ones that were already growing and did well with them. But that I think builds up your confidence. It's, it's quite easy, this whole product game. Uh, <laughs> and getting something off the ground is totally different. And I don't think I fully appreciated that when I, when I went into it. How long have you been at it with a page of mustard? Yeah, it, exactly right. Um, so <laughs> we, I was like a, I was determined. Well, I, we started researching ideas. So it was me and a friend from Redgate, a guy called Dave, started researching ideas in 2018. Um, we didn't start building until I think late 2018. And we got, we had like an alpha out then a beta. And I think we launched version one of the product in April 2019. So more than three years ago now, uh, believe it or not. So it's, I was thinking about this. I was looking back at some of your other guests and I think I might uh, try and claim the record for the slowest and steadiest of all the guests you've had so far. <laughs> we should start handing out prices. Maybe we should have a slow and steady award show once a year. But <laughs> Sounds like a fun idea. <laughs> Maybe one but price for the slowest and one price for the steadiest. Maybe, yeah, <laughs> but they yeah, go but hand in hand. Like, <laughs> sorry, good point. <laughs> but you're still here, so how is it? How has it been going, and how is it going? Yeah, it it has been remarkably uh, even the whole way. I think a lot of startup journeys do feel a little bit um, roller coastery. But if you look back, it had there haven't been too many huge highs and huge lows. Um, we've had some really quiet periods, so I, I've yeah I've spoken recently or talk, uh, I think I need to write it up. But I'm, we messed up pricing a few times. Um, didn't work out a good price for the product until about January twenty twenty. So put what's that nearly nine months in, um, and I've been pretty scared of changing the price ever since. Um, so that was that we only got a few customers in there. So we got a fir our first customer in the first week, which gave us way too much confidence. You know, it was a team. It was like uh, they signed up to our, the big, biggest plan we had on the website. And um, we thought, oh, we, we've cracked it. And then we didn't have another customer for like two months. Um, <laughs> so that first kind of six months or so, probably only got three or four customers or so. Um, but then January kind of worked nicely february was really good and then march was the pandemic and um sadly i think we were still a little bit of a luxury tool bit of an unknown uh, you don't need us you know your developers can cope without and everybody stopped hiring everybody stopped doing a lot of things and we struggled to get customers for the next six months after that but ever since it's been kind of like three a month five a month four a month you know so it's kind of like New customers have been trickling in. We're up to about, I looked at it this morning, 115 paying customers ever, and 97 of them are still subscribers, which is quite cool. Um, yeah. there's, there's an award for that as well. We'll just come up with a name. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I'd like to thank. No. Um, so, yeah, so it has been a journey, but it does feel like, 
it's going in the right direction and it doesn't need a ton of uh, love and maintenance. In fact, it, it often rejects my love and maintenance. So uh, it's, <laughs> um, if I put, you know, tons of effort into growing it or tons of effort into a new feature, it adds about five new customers. If I don't do anything and take the month off, it adds seven new customers. <laughs> um, and it's very, very difficult to see any correlation of uh, working and work out on a short-term basis. I'm sure long-term it's, it's, I have to convince myself that long-term I'm making a difference. But yeah, it's, um, it's a really lovely business to run, really wonderful customers. It's pretty much everything I hoped for, just about 10 times slower. <laughs> but I feel it's, it's one of those things where I, where we'll, I'm guessing it's going to take a while from people hear about it until they use it because they need to have that problem mm. and they also need to have buy-in from somebody higher up the chain often with the credit card. Except in you know in in other indie hackers like Benedict, they also they are the developers and they have access to the company card. But in larger teams, I'm guessing you know the developers need to have heard about um, PJ Mustard and then they have to have the need and then they will have to educate their boss or somebody to actually spend money on it so i'm guessing you'll see like if you spend a lot of time on it this month you won't see the efforts until maybe six months down the road or or am i wrong yeah Can developers now no. just go out and buy stuff you no, sadly not i think developers might be the highest paid group that don't tend to have company credit cards so a lot of people in kind of higher pay groups like managers and tend to have a company credit card, but developers, even ones on hundred, $200,000 a year, sometimes don't have any discretionary expenditure. You know, they have a big budget within their team for software tools platform, but they, they often don't have their own, um, other than founders. It's really helpful <laughs> having some founders that are customers, but, um, now you're onto something there. I do think we've got a lot of latent, um, like a lot of latent demand. So people that some people talk about us as if they're a customer of ours already. They tweet about us as if uh, you know they've been a customer for years, and in their head they have because they've only needed it twice over the past two years, and both times it's helped them loads. But the way our free trial works, and I, I quite like it. It's probably stupid, but we give people five credits that don't expire, so they can use it in a day, or they can use it over a year or longer um and it was it has been working quite nicely but our record is about 560 days from first trial to purchase our average our mean is about 50 uh so what's that nearly two months and our mode so that the most common two numbers by far are zero days and one day so a lot of customers do sign up and get using it straight away, like it, and then buy straight away. So it's a very, very bizarre business. That, uh, but yeah, I do think we've got we've had a couple of thousand people try it ever, and I suspect if we look back in five years' time, a much higher proportion of those will be customers then than they are now. If that makes any sense? Because they only needed those five credits, and and that was it. Or um, let's say loads of those. 2000 have have not run out of their trial yet um mm. so they've they've they might be really happy users but they're, they're it's kind of like freemium but you know it's a very oddly designed freemium system i feel it's it's very similar to scraping b i think who was on um 
last month, I guess, because uh, they also have it's a higher like credit number because they, it takes a lot of credits to scrape. <laughs> but they also have like a set amount of credits. And when you run out of the credits, you you need to pay. And I don't think there was a time limit on those either. So it seems like a developer tool standard if we can <laughs> if we can normalize on the two of you. Um, but, yeah, yeah, that's very cool. I didn't even make that. I listened to that episode with Pierre and uh, didn't even make that uh, connection. So that's... That I don't think we sense. talked about it. It was just that I mm -hmm. I used it on a stream and I asked for some extra credits because <laughs> I ran out since I was like developing and testing and testing. Um, but but um, but anyway, um, it seems like it seems like a good plan, and it seems like people are staying. And if you can make them stay, and if you're already, you know, been going for the amount of time you have, kind of like Postgres itself. Like if you just keep on staying, you know. You're the one people will remember and come back to because you're still there, still reliable, and still yeah, that's awesome. I guess I was going to say. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry for interrupting. I should have let you give me all the compliments. I was getting uncomfortable. <laughs> um, no, you're quite right, and that is. I mean, people talk about what kills startups, and it's a it's kind of a pithy response. It's not doesn't tell you that much, but. It's either the people running out of money or people quitting. And those, there's a lot of re reasons behind both of those. Uh, they're often related. Um, but if you are enjoying it and you're happy with the amount of money it's making, then not quitting is quite a good way of, of doing, if you, of getting there eventually. Yeah, especially um, with sure. developer tools like this, as you say, where it takes a long time from people being aware, having the problem, and actually getting to using the product. But I guess that's a great segue into, is this a full-time or part-time thing? And we kind of know the answer. <laughs> yeah, well, it, I mean, it definitely doesn't deserve to be a full-time thing um, of, of its merits, but I try to make it as much of a full-time thing as I can. Um, but yeah, I am doing uh, part-time work with UserList, which has been really cool, um, partly for money, but also partly because I really like learning from people that have been you know a few steps ahead and it feels like it does feel a little bit like cheating being able to see uh into the future a little bit or see uh decision processes from people that have been a bit more successful with something or have learned something the hard way and you hopefully then don't have to or you know um i would like to take the product a little bit more into having a a bit more integration needed up front. So now that people do trust us, now that people have a bit of experience, maybe they would give us access to the database and we can do a little bit more proactively to let people know how they could uh, tune the database. And that could probably command a slightly higher average price. And that then the marketing effort we do multiplies, you know, each new customer brings in more money. So I'd like to do some of those things, but I have no experience with high touch point sales processes and, um, Learn, like seeing some of that um, or seeing kind of tools and uh, an onboarding process where you have a bit more integration, well, a lot more integration work needed up front has been really helpful. Um, so yeah, it's, that's, that's fun. I do, I've done a little bit of consulting over the past few years as well, a little bit of, a uh, little bit of other contracting work, uh, but I tend to favor working at a smaller company as I can, uh, in terms of both being able to work with the founder and learn from them, but also not have to have too high an overhead on, on communication or on politics or on um, all the other things that 
kind of come with working with lots of people. Um, so yes, yeah, I feel pretty grateful that that's possible, uh, that the world we live in makes that possible remotely. Um, so yeah, uh, it's been really cool. Uh, it's been, I've done everything from one day a week uh, to, well, I did, did evenings and weekends at first, then one day a week, then went to four days a week, uh, very optimistically, and have then done kind of two days, three days. I'm currently about four days on it, but who knows? Uh, it's probably, it's just about sustainable, but needs to grow to, to sustain another person ideally because I my ideal is to work with others on it and currently um Dave's gone back to working full-time and uh, we're currently or I've, I've got a, an awesome contractor who I work with on Wednesdays called Ben so uh he's he keeps me company and we we tackle some of the things that I find difficult uh dev wise very cool <laughs> I'm wondering you mentioned and this is just me being interested and curious. You mentioned you joined UserList to to learn, and I'm wondering, did you actually like? How is that working out for you? <laughs> Good question. I'm really enjoying it. Um, so I think I've learned a lot on the marketing front. I wasn't expecting to. I was thinking more it'd be on the technical side. I think you joked about us probably tackling some Postgres performance <laughs> things, but luckily none have come up. Um, the customer support thing's been really fun. I've, I think I missed that, to be honest with you. I do like customer support. I've done it a couple of times in my career, and I don't get to do it that much at um, on PG Mustard. So that's been fun. It's kind of logic problems, which is fun. But on the, on the marketing front and on the design front, I do feel like I'm learning a lot. So I think UserList is quite opinionated when it comes to design. Uh, Jane's awesome, but she's also very opinionated. And that's really helpful for me. I think um, I love good design, but I'm not great at it. I think that's probably quite common. Um, and it's really nice seeing what things you both, uh, but also she rejects um, when I probably would have thought that's good enough. And that kind of uh, relentless focus on a quality bar for even the smallest things has been awesome. Um, I also think marketing-wise, it's further ahead than I realized. A lot of people have heard of it maybe two years ago and only now need, have the need. Um, the, the podcast side of it, a lot of people mention UI Breakfast or they, they mention some of these long tail bets that you've made over, over years. And that has encouraged me to think, I can focus, if I'm enjoying it, I can focus on some long-term stuff. I don't have to chase short-term marketing things um, if, I, if I get lucky <laughs> or no, if I bet on the right things. If, um, so yeah, I have been uh, thinking about, you know, what, what could I do more on the long-term side? Uh, giving myself a bit more permission to focus on SEO, on um, educational things. So, so yeah, I think it's there's nothing. Um, I don't think it's exactly what I was expecting to learn, but it still has been super helpful. Does that make sense? <laughs> that makes sense, and I'm glad to hear that uh, you're getting something out of it, even if it's not exactly what you were like what you were expecting. Uh, but so, still good to know. <laughs> yeah, it might be better than I think. It's probably better than what I was expecting. I think. I think every time you go to something new, you have certain expectations that you know are slightly unrealistic, and some that you kind of really hope, or some that are like a minimum bar. Um, but yeah, I think it might be better, but it's 
Um, I'd not actually thought about it before the call. And yeah, I think there's one other thing, which is around management. I think I've never worked somewhere that's completely remote um, on different time zones. And also I reflected, and I don't think in the past, I've had a, I've had a lot of line managers, but I don't think I've ever had an empathetic one. <laughs> I've had lots of like... <laughs> Lots of ones that have given me great opportunities. I've had ones that are inspirational. I've had ones that I've learned a lot from uh, in terms of the role or the job. Um, but I've never had somebody who's actually, you know, who you raise, you know, you say, oh, you know, I'm really struggling to fit this into my hours. And then that day they do something about it. <laughs> it's incredible. It's nice to like see that and to be reminded that that's kind of what I'd want to do as well, that I shouldn't forget that side of it. If Even when I do take people on, um, not to not to forget that that makes a diff a really big difference, uh, even or maybe even especially in small teams. I, I I'd say thanks for the praise, but you're mostly praising Jane, right? <laughs> I can't praise you to your face. <laughs> that wouldn't be British, would it? <laughs> um, no, but also I guess on the um, on the development side, it is awesome seeing you and Leo fix prob. Like I I see the problem via customer support, reproduce it pop it in slack and literally an hour later it's fixed and deployed it's Sometimes. that's really cool <laughs> yeah sure but like people doing that ever is quite rare i think and it's yeah. nice to be somewhere that still does that even though there's some overhead right like it's six people now there's there is overhead there are time zones involved that can be tricky that can um so yeah it's nice seeing that uh you still have that in place which is really cool also feels like like from our side of this, uh, we're still figuring it out while we go like uh, we've got no clue <laughs> and I'm su actually surprised that the team seems to be happy with how it's going because I don't know it feels like we we're making it up um, as we go and have no clue about anything so <laughs> I think you, at some point you just have to realize that that's all adults Right, that's that's what we do. <laughs> sure, yeah. We but... kind of we put looks like we know what, or we're trying to convey that we know what we're doing. But inside, we're like, I don't know what I'm doing. We're just making it up. <laughs> yeah, true. But um, it could also be making it up and being bad at it, or like like giving people a hard time, or like I don't know. I feel like we 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 value. A nice work culture but basically we're we've no idea about how to make it a good one like sure we, we just like do things that we like and and try to be empathetic and like put ourselves in the shoes of our employees or team members but other than that i feel like we're still kind of i don't know like I, i feel like we got lucky that it's working out it's not like uh Sorry that we have a good plan on how to how to do it. <laughs> I think you're willing to change quite quickly, which I think is probably really helpful. And I think you're also more open than most that you don't have a you don't know what you're doing. I mean, I I have say that quite often that I don't know what I'm doing, but lots of people think they do know what they're doing, and they're the dangerous ones. They're the <laughs> you know. Um, so the fact that you're open to or like you believe deep down that you don't know sometimes then i think it means you're really open to changing if a suggestion comes up or if you spot some information that suggests you might be wrong about something um which is makes it you know no one expects anywhere to be perfect but if they mess up 
if, how do they react or how do they, you know, how do they um, change? I, I, I saw earlier Cloudflare went down, didn't they? And they weren't instant with, you know, their status page still said they were up when they weren't, but they communicated quite quickly over Twitter, over their main, you know, over their main marketing channel, maybe even, uh, they put a tweet out and multiple tweets to say, we're currently down. Here's, you know, here's the status page. And it, it was not, it wasn't ages, but it also wasn't super short. They must've been having a really hard time, but they, they messed up or something went wrong. And then they coped with it pretty well, I think probably in the grand scheme of things. And that, I know, I know no one wants to take downtime, but how people cope with it is quite important for when you're picking your next supplier. And someone looking back at Cloudflare, maybe if someone's trying to pick a DNS provider today, maybe they'll have second thoughts. But if they look back over all of the providers and how they've handled downtime in, in their past, I think Cloudflare's yeah. will look pretty good. True. But did you have a question, uh, Benedict, about the ideal customer or who you're... Mm. Yes, we were talking about this earlier a little bit. Um, and what I found interesting is like over those three years, I feel like your target customer or your understanding of who's the ideal customer for PG Mustard has evolved. Because I, I remember when we first talked, you were basically um, building a tool for Postgres experts, right? At least that's how you how you phrase it. Yeah, good question. So I think my mistake, well, one of my many mistakes was thinking we were already in a niche within a niche. So you know, we're already limited to just Postgres users and those that have enough data to have performance issues, uh, which, you know, before, Postgres is pretty good out of the box. You don't hit performance issues on day one. Um, so we're already kind of quite niche down and i definitely this is probably my product management experience thinking what's our total addressable market and you know it's um i already thought that was niche enough and all of the people that had postgres at a big enough scale you know beginners or experts were probably in our target market and we didn't i definitely wasn't positioning or doing any good work communicating to a subset of those um so i did think it could be used by experts but it could be used by intermediate people and hopefully beginners as well one day. But I did think it was difficult for them. Um, and yeah, what I've what I've learned really is that the educational side is more important than I realized. The productivity side is useful, but is it 10x better for people that use one of the, there's free tools out there. Uh, so that, that doesn't help. <laughs> uh, you know, they're completely free and they're good. They, they're actually quite expert friendly already. So if you know what you're looking for, it does a lot of the calculations for you and you can spot the issues yourself um, or, or some of the time, most of the time. But um, the, yeah, the, so we need to be, let's say 10 X better. And for an expert, maybe we're not, uh, well, that's the old, that's the, um, who is, is I think Y Combinator popularized that. How do you, how do you, how do you make your product 10x better than the existing solution to overcome that switching cost? Um, the, the big realization recently is I was focusing marketing efforts on Postgres events. So last year I submitted and talked at about three or four events. Um, and that's a lot of work each time I, you know, had to, I'm, I'm not super confident at this stuff. So I had to write a talk. I had to, you know, performance stuff. You have to, 
build test cases, get query plans. Um, I put a lot of effort into each one of those and they were good. They were fine, but they were also Postgres events and not, you know, what I realized later is that a Postgres event might have like a hundred people watching on a stream or hundred, you know, thousand people watch that video ever. But a lot of developers, a lot of people that really valued those tips, the ones you were talking about, weren't going to those Postgres events, weren't looking for those videos, weren't on those newsletters. They were reading a Ruby newsletter or listening to a Ruby podcast or a Python one or Django. They, Their communities or they self-identified more as full-stack developers. Yes, they were Postgres users. Yes, they had performance issues sometimes. But they that wasn't the part of the stack that they identified them like as as part of. And they also didn't, yeah, they didn't see themselves as Postgres experts. It was kind of like a part of their stack that they were happy with, but they mostly didn't have to touch. Mostly it just worked itself out. So yeah, marketing-wise, it meant a little bit of a shift from uh, more deeper um Postgres talks and uh, content to what do people that aren't in that position Google for? What do, which newsletters are they reading? Which podcasts are they listening to? And that I had a good conversation with you, Benedict. I think that encouraged me to, um, yeah, see if I could get on one of those podcasts, one of them that had already mentioned us. And so that uh, that happened a few, maybe even like a month or two ago. Now went on the Talk Python to Me podcast with uh, another Michael. Uh, he was very. Uh, very supportive is great um and yeah i think i think it went well not sure we're going to see the results for a while as we've talked about um but it definitely drove a bunch of it drove more signups than i realized it would it, i knew it would bring traffic in but i didn't you know you think it's going to be people very few of them are going to have this problem at this moment so i was thinking this is all about awareness but we still saw a bump in signups so i'm i'm hoping that that kind of thing will lead to better more and better customers over time as well Yeah, I, I remember that conversation we had, and it was like even for me, like mind blown when when you when you told me about this this different approach. In hindsight, I mean, it makes sense. Like, uh, if someone's able to read those query plans like right in the in the console, they don't need anything. They they already know their stuff good enough and well enough. Um, but for people like me who only like use this from time to time. A tool like yours is, the, the, is a lifesaver, and yeah, it, it totally makes sense. So, um, with that realization, did you change anything else in your marketing approach other than doing a couple of podcasts? <laughs> What do you mean, just doing a couple of podcasts? <laughs> no, I'm teasing. Um, uh, yes, I've written down a whole project to reposition. No, um, I haven't done a lot yet I've, i've done a lot behind the scenes but not, not a lot that's been published yet i've focused on quite a few um tweaks to the product that should help those people but should help it probably will still help the experts but i was thinking um another thing that beginners or people that aren't as into it don't look at enough at are the buffers numbers um so that's the amount of data being read uh, or the amount of io being done uh by each operation and those numbers we, we were giving them in blocks um, and experts know that those blocks tend to be eight kilobytes and maybe they're actually even quite good at multiplying several thousand of those by eight kilobytes and knowing, you know, is that roughly a few megabytes? Is that roughly a few gigabytes or is it, you know, is it even more? Um, and but yeah, I, just though, putting those uh, 
quick calculations into the product, I think is quite developer friendly in terms of seeing that the reason this query has taken a second is it's doing 23 gigabytes of IO or, you know, of, <laughs> uh, of, uh, reads over or maybe writes, you know, so putting some of those things into like bumping those up the, uh, roadmap, I think has probably come from that, like realizing who is the ideal customer and what, what kind of state of mind they're in, what kind of frames of reference they have. Yeah, sounds sounds good. Uh, but challenging you a little bit, that's, again, working on a product. That's not really marketing, is it? <laughs> no, definitely not. And I, I think I should be blogging more. But the, the homepage wasn't terrible for the positioning. Uh, even the, It's probably uh, more of an indictment of how little I've done on it over the years. But it wasn't positioned at experts. It's very big. Uh, it's, it's quite wordy. Um, it, we changed it quite early on in its history and increased the conversion rate so much that I got scared of changing it ever again. <laughs> um, so it went from about, it, we had like a pretty standard product page with, you know, a few features left and right, that kind of thing. Um, and it was converting about 4%. And last time I checked, it was somewhere in the region of 12 to 14%. Um, and I'm, so I'm absolutely terrified of changing that now <laughs> but i do want to i do think it could be even more positioned at not just um the the person who's newer to this or spends less time doing it but also at the team lead who's getting bombarded with questions from their team the person who the actual expert on that team who can't get anything else done because everyone else is coming to them um with problems so in a bigger company that's that tends to be how this uh, manifests that one person gets good at it and then everybody else comes to them. Yeah. So yeah, I think I can do better there and I do think I'd need to blog more. Uh, my last one was in December, so that's quite embarrassing, uh, but I have one. I did spend quite a lot of last week on one about buffers. So hopefully I'll get that out soon. Nice. Have you considered just like creating landing pages or like landing page or blog posts about, doing database explains for Postgres in specific frameworks. Like how am I doing a, 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 a Postgres explain in Rails with my active record models or how am I doing the same thing in Python? And how do yeah, you, well, how, do, how does it work in Hasura? 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 Yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, good question. And definitely useful. Um, in fact, one of the reasons I was feeling grateful earlier uh, was that, so, uh, a friend of mine or uh, an internet friend let's say met in, friend in person once a guy called adam who's on the django technical board adam johnson he just this morning posted a how do i get a query plan when uh, using django uh, it, it pretty much featured the product uh, left right and center <laughs> which was really nice as well nice. so um yeah that i think will do well but i'm not I don't know Rails. I don't know. I, you know, it's it's quite a lot of work to learn Hazura to just to write that post. And I've tried outsourcing technical content in the past with, uh, when I say mixed results, that's a British, uh, a Britishism <laughs> to say. Um, it, well, it's, the problem, the problem is really that we need to be like, the, if we need to be positioned as a performance expert, really. Because the pro like if we, if the content's average or not good, developers can tell, and that does not make the pro product look good. So any content I do, I kind of feel like it has to be very good. Um, maybe that's wrong, 
But you have reminded me of one thing I have done, which I'm quite proud of looking back, and I do tweak this quite often, is the explain documentation or, or glossary. So I spent a few months solidly um, a couple of summers ago just writing a page per explain operation and per field as well. I don't know if you know if we did that. It's like about 160 or maybe even 180 pages now. Um, so those are starting to rank nicely in Google. And I think we could do more on the long tail searches. So did a post last year on why isn't Postgres using my index? So the kind of thing a developer might actually Google for. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're, you're right. I think probably also videos or like YouTube, I think it's quite common for how do I get, you know, these aren't, these aren't high volume search terms. So it's quite depressing, like having to spin up a video that's going to get, you know, a hundred views over a year, but they also, they are going to be high intent. So I think I need to get over the vanity of how many views it's going to get and remember that each one of those actually does want a product for this. So yeah, yeah. thank you for the kick and it's much appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe you get some, like you can find some friends who can like, point you to the right things or write a part of the blog post for you. Um, I'd be willing to do the Ruby version if, if you ask nicely. <laughs> uh, I'll work um, on how to ask nicely. Um, <laughs> yeah, because I feel like that's probably the thing, how you get like those, the eyes on the products with, when people are in the deeps of struggling with this. And um, yes, it might not be the, most advanced content but the people looking for that content that's what they're looking for that's the answer they want to get and then if they then realize that you have this entire glossary about like how every part and operation in the explain actually works and what the what the details are and what what to read out of it I, th then that shows that you're the expert but if they from the yeah. get-go have the feeling that you're the expert and they don't there's no way for them from getting for where they are now with like just struggling with this to getting actually understanding the documents. You're a hundred percent right. I, I do need to get into this more. I think I, the people I've spoken to the sad, the sad news is that they aren't Googling for it. What they're doing is using a different tool. They already, there's a free tool that's been out for about probably 15 years that most people just go to. And I think I need to work on awareness so that, that there even is an alternative. Most people go to that kind of by default and don't even search for how to do this thing. But do you yeah, have but, your versus page? Pardon me? The you PG can, like, Mustard versus Product X versus, because even I sometimes mess up and Google product names when I'm supposed to go to their web page. And I know that's something, you know, non like technical people do all the time, but now with how the browser work like works, like I've realized several times I'm like, I know this address, but end up searching for it anyway, because it's like you search for the product instead of just going to the product.com. And then if you yeah, have think, your like yeah. versus page, then you might be able to sneak up there. Um, I did. I did draft these, and um, Dave and I had a good discussion around it. And there were two two problems we faced. Uh, one was these are free products built by people in the community that host it for free and give it away open source. And doing a kind of like competitive us versus them actually felt a little bit awkward. You know, it felt like punching down, or you know, uh, 
not being very nice to people that have done a lot of good work over the years. But then the other problem is spelling out exactly how it's better to them. They would be the main audience of this. They'd be the first to see it. Um, and yeah, I probably just need to have a little bit more confidence in the product itself and maybe work out. I think actually something I have learned from user list is how to be really nice and respectful on those pages. The user list comparison pages point out exactly why it all would be better than user list for a specific use case or, or worse for a different one. Um, so I think that's another thing I can take away and hopefully do in a, in a nicer way. I think you could probably do it in a very respectful way, the way you do, because you, you have respect for them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's not going to be hard <laughs> to do it either. And I feel like I also trust comparison pages more if they do highlight the things that, you know, another tool does better and be like, hey, if you don't need this, do not, you know, pay me because there is this other tool and I don't need you back until you need the things that I have and you're willing to pay for. Um, and that just gives me higher confidence in the tool or and more respect for the person or the persons behind it all. And I guess, yeah, I think um, you're doubling down on this a little bit. Um, it doesn't, even if you just have the pages, so you, you rank for other tool alternatives, that would be worth it. Like you don't have to present your tool as the, the one and only solution, but like just being indexed in Google when someone looks for alternatives to that other tool that they maybe don't like, or I don't know. I, I know what tool you're talking about with the, the four that's been around for 14 years. And it's just like, it doesn't look nice. It does its <laughs> job, but it's like, it's not a beautiful tool. <laughs> so people might look for alternatives and yeah, they might well, find yours. <laughs> I really appreciate it. I think I'm going to do it. I think I, I think I'll work. Do it. Do it. And I definitely favor doing things that I find fun and uh, enjoyable over things that are harder and more uncomfortable, even if it's at the detriment of the business. So I appreciate uh, some accountability and some. I, uh, I know the feeling, but sometimes it's helpful to to go out of your comfort zone. I mean, you don't have to be rude, right? And the other thing you mentioned previously is um, you said that everyone's just going to that other tool because it's been f around forever. But I challenge that because I guess there are a lot of people that don't know about that other tool. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, so I think the thing I've learned most about Google search is it's all about intent. And I at first used to think, like, how can we get PG, the PG Mustard homepage to rank for the phrase explain, analyze, or but what people really want when they're Googling that, for example, is um, what is it? How does it work? You know, what are the absolute basics? And I need there's the other the problem is the other tools. I've, I the other things I ruled out because they were such low volume, you know, pretty much zero as in like explain visualization tools or alternative to this tool. Or, or there's a couple of others as well that, but the 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 search tools think there's zero volume and I'd kind of ruled it out for that. Yeah. So firstly, it's not, yeah. Uh, firstly, it's not <laughs> zero volume. And secondly, it's such high intent that it doesn't matter if it's only 10 a month, if all 10 become customers, that would be, that would like be that more than double our growth. So yeah. Yeah. Really good. Points. I guess, Thank you. I guess about, about SEO and uh, those SEO tools and like, 
the problem I have with a lot of keyword researching advice, and by no means I'm by no means an SEO expert or anything, but if you follow the standard advice and uh, around keyword research, they often tell you like look at the numbers and if it's like a decent chunk, then it's worth optimizing for and and, and writing posts for. But I feel like especially with niche tools like PG Mustard or even UserList that are like super specific that there's just not like we'll never have the search volume to be to show up in those tools because in the end those tools are just guessing because they're not actually getting the, the real data from Google so they just extrapolate from like I don't know what data sets they get to, to use this <laughs> I and think that's the secret sauce <laughs> Yeah, that's that's probably one of the secret sauce ingredients. But also, um, like if your niche is like super small and super targeted, you're not represented in that data set anymore. And it will show you that there's no search at all for this, even though you know that people are searching for this and you're the perfect tool for, for, for that particular case. So uh, like if it's super niche, don't trust those keyword research tools and just like, trust your gut i guess <laughs> thank you that's that is genuinely really helpful thank you i think also if you are going for the people who are not the experts anymore like you said you could even do things like why why is my why is my super base slow like that is something i would google if i ended up <laughs> using it for a side project right because i don't even have the knowledge to know database terminology for it but i would know what tool i'm using and if you said there are other tools building on top of pg mustard like that you could target them not as like comparison pages but more like are you you know if you're using if you're using these tools and use the name of the tools or the services that's probably what they know they don't know that it's a postgres maybe but they should maybe but like <laughs> it depends on like how far you're into it it's like it's slow that's what your your i guess your your pain is yeah for sure and <laughs> that, that's a perfect example uh, so i'm excited about superbase at the moment it seems to be mostly kind of side projects and kind of weekend projects that are going on it but I, they're building in such a way that it'll be like firebase i think in a few years time where people are bumping into real performance issues and either considering moving off or hopefully uh it can uh do like do a postgres and just about keep up with the teams that are building on it in a couple of years when everybody's like why is my super base slow <laughs> okay do we have more questions benedict i think we should wrap it it's been a long episode by now but I think um, we should have like a founders SEO like roundtable at some point because I know that Pierre also from from Scraping B has some like hot takes on SEO. Um, <laughs> I would all my that. all my SEO knowledge is basically uh, recycled Scraping B SEO knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> okay then. <laughs> so yeah, so you've scraped it. Um, they Ooh. just like we just asked stupid questions and they were kind enough uh, to answer them. <laughs> I think we forgot, even though we maybe can hear, uh, where are you located? Yes, uh, just southwest of London in a place called Guildford, um, just uh, kind of a medium sized town, uh, with a little bit of countryside. 
And uh, besides Guildford, where can people find you online? Yeah, please don't come find me. No, actually, I, I would quite like that. But um, on probably Twitter is the best place. My my name's hard to spell, but it's M-I and then my last name, Christophides, on Twitter. Or PG Mustard on Twitter. You'll find me from there. Or check the Very description cool. and there will yep. be links. Definitely. Nice, thank you. So well done. Thanks. Thanks a lot for joining. It was a pleasure to talk to you. And um, everyone else, see you on the interwebs. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for having me. Bye.